Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. He came to me and said to me, if you keep going with your money, I send you up to the stand. To be honest, uh, I cannot smile now, but uh, I say to him, if you want to complete a perfect job, you can send me off. He took seriously, he sent me off. Sometimes I, I look at fullbacks and I think, there's only two two things for a fullback. You're either a failed winger or a failed centre back. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I was you, neither. Which were you? <laughs> just failed. You, you get a centre back, didn't you? Get a centre back. Yeah. No one wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. <laughs> Hello, you through to the police. How can I help? Yeah, could I speak to Sir Alex Ferguson, please? And uh, not by a please. Nine 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 line. I'm afraid no. Uh, so Alex, but the, the result is all wrong. They had extra time, and, and it was a total, un- utter load of rubbish. So you're actually on the 999 police line. Is there any crime you need to report to the police this evening? Yeah, a crime, yeah. yeah I'll report a crime, yeah. And what crime is that? The crime is that Manchester United Manchester United were absolutely knackered. His objective was one, come here and take a point. This is not Premier League, this is football from the 19th century. The only thing I could drink more, uh, Black and Decker. Black and Decker to destroy the wall. I was uh, pretty scathing about uh, your performance. <laughs> I don't know you want. He can't take it, can he? He can't take it. He just can't take it because we've out-tacticed him, we've out-witted him. Uh, you know what I mean? He just can't cope, can he? Like, you know, so there you go. He he told you, don't I? I know he did. <laughs> he can tell me all he wants, so I don't give a shite. It was a situation where I shouldn't have been there. You know, I've been involved in a couple of incidents on the line and probably because I'm too near the action. I'll be sitting down from now on. England have been drawn alongside uh, Uruguay, Costa Rica and Italy. Do I believe the squad can win the World Cup? Yes, of course I believe the squad can win the World Cup. Otherwise, what's the point of taking a squad to the World Cup? We don't have some belief that they can, they can win it. Hello one and all and welcome to this edition of Man on the Post podcast. I'm Colin and with me today are Adam and Greg. Say hello guys. Evening. Hello. How have we all been this week? Have we any stories to share? No. Okay. (laughs) No. No, nothing too exciting happened to me either. Pretty run of the mill week as it goes. Okay, well, without further ado, let's go into the football action. Uh, There's been some extremely important games for a number of reasons. Um, Perhaps the most important of all was, of course, the Champions League final between Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. Who would like to kick us off on this match? Real Madrid 4, Atletico Madrid 1. That was the final result after extra time. But uh, it was obviously a, a draw at 1-1 before we uh, got to that point. I was going to say, you're making it sound very flattering. Yes. Yeah, very flattering. I, I, first of all, did everyone enjoy it? Was it, was it just Greg being miserable? Not Greg, sorry. You're Greg's here. Was it just Tom being miserable? Was it, I, it, I thought first, it was good. The first 90 minutes, it was a bit of a slog at times, wasn't it? It wasn't one for the purists. It was a bit scrappy at times and... I think it was the lack of goal malfaction which may have put Tom off. Yeah, that is, that is true. Uh, that, um, especially in the, the first sort of 60, 70 minutes, you wouldn't have ever... ever you, Real Madrid couldn't have argued if they hadn't, hadn't won that game. It wasn't like they were being miraculously denied. They'd, they, up until that point, they'd created very little. And the things they did create um, 
Bale had squandered up until that point. I mean, Quartard didn't have much to do, did he? No, not at all. Not at all. Well, um, well let, let's um, talk about the first goal. Um, because this this was a key goal, wasn't it? Godin scored. But the question for me would be, was I could, I could see us at fault? Yeah. He was out of position, Absolutely. wasn't he? 100%. 100%. He had no reason to come, come rushing out that far. It, 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 it's completely cliched when talking about a goalkeeper, but it, it's when you, if you're going to come, you've got to get it, haven't you? Yeah. You can't do that because that was just shambolic. I, one thing would be was that the question for me would be whether Godin was lucky to have that goal even named him. Was it not an own goal from Luka Modric? Do, do we not think it was no, already it crossed, in? It crossed the line. Yeah, but that, exactly that. That was from that was from Luka Modric's header. No, it was Godin's header, wasn't it? No, no, it was Luka Modric heads the ball back past Casillas, who starts running back and claws it back across the line into Godin that goes in. I oh, see. I drank quite a lot of Southern Comfort by this point. <laughs> so, so it looked like um, the centre back had scored. All right, Go- fair enough. Godin has definitely been given the goal. Yeah, officially. Um, fair play to him. Um, just, just um, on that goal as well. Ike Casillas is going to be the man between the sticks for Spain, isn't he? Almost definitely. Almost yeah. definitely. You've you've seen a lot more Spanish football than than Greg or I, Adam. I mean, you know, if you compare it to like, for example, say England with Joe Hart, I, I'm very confident with Joe Hart being the the goalkeeper. I, would would the Spanish team be equally as confident with with Ike Casillas in that position? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a man who he's made what he made one mistake in the game and it sure it didn't didn't go well for him and he he's been let off the hook. But but he's I I in pretty much every other display I've seen him in, which obviously hasn't been that many this season. He he's been been faultless and this is a man who's won. Now won multiple Champions Leagues, World Cup. He's got well, just won the World Cup, won the European Championships twice. Like he, they've got every faith in him, and why shouldn't they? Okay, well let's move on to the injury time winner. Well, in, sorry, injury time equaliser, should I say, uh, by Sergio Ramos. Did Sergio Ramos is an absolute goal machine? Oh yeah, yes. yes. Such a it's presence. Five, five in six in his life for Real Madrid at the moment. I feel like he's wasted at centre back. <laughs> Where's it? How how further forward would you put him though, Greg? That's what I'm saying. Is, uh, is he going up as? Is he playing in midfield? Is he playing? Are you stick? You want to stick him number nine? Oh, he's a classic centre forward in my book. You reckon? Yeah, he's got. You're he's... sacking off Benzema and you're you're playing Ramos. Yes, definitely. That's, that's great and all, because you can play Varane, but that does mean that you have to put Pepe on the pitch. Well, Pepe, you get comedy value. <laughs> just looking at the um, just looking at the the match events here. So Sergio Ramos is very lucky to be on the pitch at that point because he got booked in the twenty seventh minute, and you don't ever expect him to survive a further. Well, the thing we have a sixty odd minutes about picking up another booking. Where I was watching it, we had a a uh, sweepstake going, and if your player who were to um, score next, and if your player got sent off, you had to put an extra ten pound in. And I had Ramos, so I was as soon when he got booked that early, I was terrified. <laughs> but luckily, he came good in the end. Well, yeah, the the conquering hero. And this time he did not drop the the cup under the bus, so he's two for two really. Well, well, on, on Sergio Ramos's goal, was it deserved? Was was it deserving of Real Madrid to go into extra time, or were Atletico robbed? Should they have done more? Um, um it it you could see it coming, just the amount of pressure that um, well, I would Real say, were yeah, applying but... towards the end. You do. You... You don't you don't want to say these things, but they stopped playing football after a while, didn't they? 
that you have to look and but, see whether it, it was a huge. Obviously, they made a huge gamble playing playing Diego Costa that very quickly backfired. Um, a lot's been made of essentially them wasting a substitution. Whether you have to w- wonder whether how much one set of fresh legs would have done, but they did look start to look like a very tired group of players and they just retreated further and further back with and so many times when the ball was dropping to to Ramos when Greg said about him playing further forward that in those last 20-30 minutes he was practically playing as a midfield player anyway the the ball was just every time Athletic tried to get the ball out they just had no one to go to and it just came back and back and back and it just seemed like it was inevitable Okay, well, let's move on to extra time. And it was pretty much the Real Madrid show, wasn't it? Uh, the first goal coming in for Gareth Bale, who was running in there at the far post, a cheeky little monkey, getting his head on there. Well-deserving, I think, for, for Gareth Bale, hasn't it? He's been a bit... The questions were asked about him I mean, it, when he went to Real Madrid. He's been a revelation, hasn't he? I mean, he was... He was getting a lot of stick on on Twitter during the game because, as Greg said, he he did have two two glorious chances that that he he wasn't able to put away. But I think that if you're going to point fingers at any any player in that game, it cost eighty million pounds, and Ronaldo was just completely anonymous. I mean, uh, yeah. it was almost one of those situations where you you're thinking cre- credit to Gareth Bale for for being in the position. Sure, sure he screwed up the the very last bit of it, but. He, it's almost like he'd done all the hard work, and I, I, there was no situation ever where you thought that of Ronaldo, where he was through and it was just a finish away from winning. I don't think Ronaldo looked fit, did he? You think that's what it was? You think? I don't. I don't think he was fully fit. I was, I was, I was wondering about that about his fitness, but there was one, there was one moment where it must, a bus probably would have been a kick out from, from Casillas and. You watched him him leap with the the sort of grace that you often see him leap with, and he's got an amazing hang time in the air. And I thought that that was not the action of someone whose hamstring was causing him any problems. Perhaps he had one eye on the World Cup. Perhaps he didn't want to push himself too hard. I don't know. Yeah, Bale doesn't have that problem, does he? No, no. <laughs> but and it, when you're talking about there, is that? Ronaldo's penalty, his celebration was just so egotistical well, well, let... of, a, of a man who, like, who, as I would say, contributed nearly nothing in the rest of the 120 minutes. Well, we're, we're skipping over Marcelo's goal there, um, which obviously was the, the next one that went in. But but on Ronaldo, he you knew he wanted to get his shirt off, didn't you? He, he wanted to get his body <laughs> out, didn't he? Yeah. To be fair, fair play to him. I mean, if you look like that, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Why is he even wearing a shirt in the first place? But you think, like, would you say? Did he don't want to completely gloss over Marcelo's goal? But that was that was just it. That I think that I think if the game was over when Bale scored, because I I, I didn't think Atleti had anything to come back from from that, especially with the players that they still had on the pitch at that point. And it, you felt a bit. I felt personally a bit sorry for Courtois there because that Marcelo's goal was that was an error from him and at, at least at least it didn't cost them the game I think you can say but he must have been slightly disappointed from a personal level well well, we mentioned Ronaldo and the goal and the celebrations can anybody explain to me what was going on with Simeone at the end he was on the pitch his coach and staff were on the pitch Unprofessional? Completely. Crazy. Lost it. And and it, it, he's the complete opposite of 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 um sort of like a Mourinho esque sort of situation. When when you see Mourinho do something like that, you think this is calculated, he knows what he's doing, he's trying to he he's he's making a scene, but he's doing it because he'll be able to then make it about this or make it about him and not about his players. Simeone just lost his head. He looked emotional, didn't he? 
Oh, he, he was on the edge, wasn't he's, he? He's South, he's South American. It's what they do. On the flip side, Carlo Ancelotti. Cool, <laughs> cool as you like. Um, I, I am a big just, fan of Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I think just the five European Cups for him now. Oh, he's he's a great manager in my book. Um, not bad, not bad going, is it? <laughs> not at all. So I guess in conclusion, Real Madrid, Champions League winners, again, um, deserved. In the end, do we think? It was nice to see, wasn't it? Real Madrid lifting the trophy. La Decima, after all. No, it's been a yeah. while, and you'd expect them it to have happened at some point within the last decade. But no, it's, uh, it's, it's been, been a long a time l- coming. This this tenth one. It's been a very long time. When you consider there's been 58 European Cup finals and they've won ten of them. I mean, granted they won the first five, but sure. Well, I think that wraps up the Champions League final. We'll now move on to things close to home. Uh, obviously, three very important playoff finals at Wembley. The first one we'll concentrate on is a championship playoff between QPR and Derby County. It was a little bit wet at the beginning of this match. Um, I, I desperately wanted to, to, if I'd have been there, I'd have rushed out and given Steve McLaren a brolly. Um, but he, he was not for gonna have he wasn't gonna have one was he? He he was just getting there soaked. Didn't want to repeat what he'd done before previously with England. Lesson learned. Really uh, wanted the umbrella as well. Indeed, a, a lesson learned. I mean, the result was QPR beat Derby County in the 90th minute, one nil. Bobby Zamora goal. What do we take from this game? What what were your thoughts on the performances of both teams? Oh, you felt for Derby, didn't you? Yeah. That was a real smash and grab. QPR's only shot on target comes in the 90th minute when they're down to 10 men after both Derby centre-backs have made a, made a mistake. And that's a, a season of good work undone. It felt like football died a little because you had a, a squad which had been built uh, around you know youth and not spending a lot of money against a team that's spent more money than Atletico Madrid and has a wage bill higher than Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's unfortunately going to go down as uh, Richard Keogh's mistake, isn't it? Yeah, really? it, well, it was. I think it was both of them because Jake Buxton let. Um, yes. I forget who it was down the um, down that right hand side. I think it might have been Hoylett. He let him. Yeah, it was Junior Hoylett. The ball. Yeah, when he shouldn't have done and get the ball across and then Keogh's not cleared it properly I mean I, I think I, I agree with you Greg I don't think he had a huge amount of opportunity to clear it that well anyway because of the the angle he was at but it just felt nicely to Zamora but I still think that it was a tough one for Zamora to finish because he had to make a decision how, how am I going to finish this he, he could only have one touch and he hit it with his left and just placed it perfectly for me the, the first thing I'd say about the game is that I thought that especially at the beginning, that the atmosphere just from TV just seemed amazing. It, it just it just shows what, what you can do when the difference between the, having the football community there and having the fans there, because we, I think there was 47, was it 47,000? That sounds like too many. That sounds like it, the maths doesn't work out, but it was 40-odd thousand fans, wasn't it, from each team? Yeah, because obviously they don't have the... Um... The or the prawn sandwich brigade don't like football league. <laughs> and for a good reason. Yeah, and Club Wembley usually ends up being taken over by those the supporters of those teams involved. I see. Yeah. So that that just that sounded brilliant, and and that just just leads on to an even better game. But if a in a calculated decision that that if if it's a a goal that's worth 120, 120 million pounds or whatever the crazy figure is this year to keep you up. And that's a red card. That's He's got to be splitting that 60 million each with Gary O'Neill, yeah. wasn't he? I think he knew what he was doing, didn't he? That Definitely. Was, it's the first red card of his career as well. And he's uh, 
he's had quite a long career and he's picked a decent time to to do his duty for his team and uh well, well let's let's have a look, let's have a little talk about this then if if you were Gary O'Neill would you have made that challenge of course you I you'd would have to. yeah would you Adam you you'd expect it of your yeah completely yeah definitely yeah he he looked like he was on for a good shot on goal wasn't he it was one of them situations where you couldn't couldn't see him not scoring. Now I could see exactly what Derby were trying to do. They were, they were trying to stretch play, weren't they? They were trying to tire out QPR. And, and towards the end, I mean, I mean, Bobby Zamora looked like he was walking. But was that perhaps Derby's downfall? Should Derby have taken it to QPR a little bit more? Were they too defensive and just not wanting to concede? And was was that ultimately what what did it for them? I think I think they. They they couldn't attack to, when you've got a player like like Junior Hoyler on the pitch that you can't attack too much because he's got got the pace and the the ability to punish you on the on the counter attack very quickly. And the times QPR did for it, and it was because of the pace of players like Hoyler taking him up the pitch very quickly. I I just. I just think that Derby would would just unlucky. I, I don't know whether they could whether whether they could have done anything more, or or whether you can criticise what they did do, or whether you just need they just need to sort of hold hold their hands up and say, yeah, it just wasn't wasn't our time. Well, Rob Green had a fantastic game, didn't he? Yes, some cru- crucial saves. Absolutely, and. Uh... I think he's going to be the keeper that QPR stick with in, in the Premier League. I can clearly see that. Um, another player who stood out for me was um, was Will Hughes of Derby. We've mentioned him on the podcast before. My concern for Derby County now is, especially having played on such a high stage as a championship playoff final, um, is whether someone in the Premier League snaps him up whether Derby can actually keep hold of him. Um, that could be a decisive factor for me as to how just how well Derby do next season. Um, but I could see a few people putting in some nice bids in for Will Hughes. Well, well let's move forward then, because uh, it wasn't only the, the championship that, that uh, featured at Wembley, it was also Leagues 1 and 2. Uh, Greg, I know that you were our man who was particularly um, engrossed with these matches. Um, first of all, let's go to the, the League One playoff, which was a cracker. Uh, it it really was. Rotherham United versus Leighton Orient. 2-2, full-time. Went to penalties, and Rotherham went through 4-3 on penalties. Greg, what, what were your thoughts on, on this match? Well, yeah, I thought it was the best match of the weekend. Yeah. Um, Leighton Orient came out of the blocks like a house on fire. They um, raced into a 2-0 first half lead. Um, Moses Adebarju, um was fantastic. He really was. He, he scored an absolute uh, cracker and then set up the uh, second with a wonderful cross. But then in came Alex Ravel of Rotherham who scored a nice little poacher's finish for the first goal. But then his his second goal was... Just something of absolute class. That the best goal of the, um, the playoff campaigns this year. It's just a 35-yard dipping half volley, and that took it to all. And he went to extra time. And Rotherham were always on the back foot in this game. They went two 0 down. They finished below late in Orient in the league as well. Then they went behind in the shootout, and uh, they just never gave up. And it was a, a, an impressive performance. And now they've got two promotions in two years. They've got a, a brand new stadium and they look like they could be with the right investment and the, you know, if the, the support's there at a boardroom level, but they could be a nice little, you know, lower end championship club. Thank you for that, Craig. Shall we move on to the league two playoffs? Yeah, not as good a game. Fleetwood and Burton Albion Fleetwood getting the, the only goal. Uh, winning the match 1-0, which sees plucky Fleetwood in uh, in the third tier of English football. 
you say plucky Fleetwood, but they've spent a lot of money to get where they are. They are the they are the Manchester City of League Two. Ah, oh, tell me more. Ah, uh, they've um they've got a well-off owner who's pumped a lot of money into um into the club. I mean, it's I've went there this season. It's a nice little club. They've got a a tidy ground. Um, when it eventually gets finished all the way around, they've got a, you know it's a very friendly, welcoming club. Um, they're not the biggest. They only attract what must be two, three thousand for a home game. But you know they've they've um, got a good young manager in Graham Alexander who's uh, invested well and I think out of the two out of them and Burton Albion they were always going to be have enough to get up Okay so I think that pretty much rounds up the uh, all the action in the, the key games that have been taking place um, so let's move on now to another issue that you, you've probably seen in the news which is it's that time of year when the Premier League has a clear out of all their players and uh, there's a whole load of freebies available. Um, so we just wanted to touch on the, the players that have been released by Premier League clubs this week. And, and in particular, Greg, I, I think you have developed a, a 100% free man on the post 11. I have. That will, I think... So if you're a promoted side, this will keep you up. And maybe you might see a bit of mid-table mediocrity from these 11. Right, let me just get it up. Okay, so we're playing a 4-4-3 formation in goal. 4-4-3? 4-4-3, yeah, we're playing with 12 players. Uh, okay. 4-3-3, no, my apologies. In goal, we've got Kieran Westwood of Sunderland, or formerly of Sunderland, who's a good keeper, capable of making some astonishing saves. But just hasn't really found a, a place at Sunderland. Then you've got a back four of Liam Ridgewell, Nemanja Vidic, who I don't really think should count. No, but he shouldn't. He, but he, I'm going to count him. Um, <laughs> Jolien Lescott and Ashley Cole. I think Ridgewell aside, that's that's a, a you know a back four you can, that could compete. You can, you can always <laughs> you can always replace um, Vidic with Rio. Exactly one. United stalwart for another, um, and then in midfield. Now this is this is where we'll win our games. We've got Lampard, Sidwell playing in front of Gareth Barry. Now there's goals in that midfield. That's an engine room. Sid, yeah, Sid, Sidwell seemed to score every week for Fulham. But look at look at Colin enjoying the midfield with Frank Lampard. Who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do honestly just quickly on Frank Lampard. Um, I think there are discussions about potentially doing a deal with Chelsea. He has been released, but he might be back. Um, well, so, like, is this going to be the same way that um, Colton Cole was back for West Ham? <laughs> possibly, yeah. When Jose has a midfield crisis in next, uh, next January, it will come calling. Um, right, and then out wide, we've got Mark Albrighton. He's a handy little winger. I always thought that he was a good player. Yeah, he's... He's quick. He can put a decent ball into the box, and I'll tell you, he'll be. I think there's rumours that he'll he'll sign for Leicester, which is um could be a good little signing. And then Joe Cole on the on the other side, just for nostalgia purposes. Oh, definitely, because I wouldn't yeah. have let this team this team wouldn't have passed them got the man on the post stamp if it didn't have Joe Cole in it. It has to have Joe. And then <laughs> just the finishing touch, and this is something that I'm really proud of. And this is Nicholas Bentner playing the playing up front by himself. Now, that team screams goals, has lots of quality, a decent back five, and would finish 12. Well, I think you've done a good job there, Greg. Yeah, managed by uh, Chris Hewton as well. No, no Tim Sherwood, that's a dig. No, no, Tim can be first team coach. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as well, maybe England's Carlton Cole would be available again. So I think <laughs> he just got the one-year contract from West Ham, didn't he? So uh, I think yeah. I think England's Carlton Cole is probably perpetually available. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I, there are some some players which I've I've started thinking about the bench as well, which I may be a little too far. But you've got Johnny Heisinger, John Arnarisa, and Georgios Karagounis all being released by Fulham. 
who would all be a decent players to have on the bench. You've got Matty Fryatt, who can pop up with a couple of goals, been released by um, uh, Hull, and you've got Shola Amiobi as a free agent. He, I mean, he that, might, would, that would only he be would be brilliant for when you play two games against Sunderland. That's exactly what I was about to say. But <laughs> it's worth it. You've got Stephen Rees, Zoltan Gira, and Jack Collison. Uh, Maran Shamak who had a good season last year um, I was a little bit surprised to see him on the list if I'm honest yeah so was I because he he see um, Pulis seemed to have him playing and found a little role for him and he was enjoying life down there so yeah but there's definitely some especially for them lower half premiership clubs or brand new premiership clubs or even top end championship clubs who there's some um some good players out there so, some of them aren't going to stick around for long, though. No. The likes of... I wouldn't take a punt on Nicholas and Elka, personally. That's one I'd... I'd just leave that one. And, you know, I can't no, see Brian... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's Esso. You've got... Uh, who else have we got? Julian Speroni. Now, there's a good goalkeeper. I don't know. Well. Federico Makeda. Yeah, bring him on. He scored, to be fair, he scored a couple of goals for um, Birmingham towards the end of last season, so he could be here. Dan Gosling going going on a free again. Just worked out well for you at Newcastle, hasn't it, mate? Hmm. Well, with that sort of insight, I think you could make a good job as a director of football, Greg. Do you reckon? Yeah. I, might, I might tap up my local uh, club, Gosford Barra. I might be able to convince a couple of them to come play in see the conference you, south. See, see if you can sign Ashley Cole. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Rio Ferdinand, where better to go and get your career back on track after a, a ropey and, season at Real Madrid, uh, um, Man United then down at Privet Park playing for Gosford Barra? Tell him, it, tell him it's really sunny and the, the sun at about five o'clock when it's on a sort of like a, a November day shines into the stand. So there'd be a huge, huge demand for his, his number five baseball caps. Oh, good, good plan. Well, they should sell quite well anyway on the Costa del Gosport <laughs> as it, as it will be referred to if Rio's in town. Right. You heard it. You heard it here. First. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, Greg, director of football for an up-and-coming team, looking to attach Premier League freebies with uh, a football club. So uh, you heard it here first. I'm not doing anything else this summer. So I was going to say you've you just handed in your dissertation. You can get your CV out there. Exactly. It would get me away from Morrison's for a couple of months, anyway. See if you can bag yourself a freebie to go to uh, to, to, to um to the World Cup to go scout some talent. Exactly, I've got my sticker book, so I know who everyone is. <laughs> so let's just touch briefly on the England 23-man squad and uh, just give it our sort of man-on-the-post review, if you like. Um, I'll quickly go through the players that have made it and you let me know if you think there's anybody there that shouldn't be there or anybody that should be there who's missing. So... Let's go straight from the top. Goalkeepers. We've got the impressive Joe Hart together with Ben Foster, Fraser Forster. And we're missing... The, the, way, you, the way you said that was like there was going to be a fourth one, Colin. Yeah, no, it's just three, isn't it? Yeah. But also, I, I, I'm going to have to argue with you if you're going to start giving your adjectives to certain players. And the impressive Joe Hart Ben Foster, Fraser Foster, Foster. That's not fair. That that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Do do we think there's any exclusions there? Are we all happy with that selection? Um, John Ruddy might be a little unlucky that he plays in front of, behind a dreadful defence, but. Or John Ruddy's gone and to, John Ruddy's gone and told everyone how unlucky he is. Yeah. Um. Apart from that, I like Ben Foster. He's a good keeper, and I can't really comment on. Uh. Fraser Forster because I don't really watch much pub football, but I'm sure he, I'm sure he got there. <laughs> this, is, this is Celtic's Fraser Forster, by the way. Yeah. 
Okay, so it seems like, uh, Roy, you've done okay. You've got the thumbs up for the goalkeepers. Let's move on to our defenders. We have Leighton Baines, Gary Cahill, Phil Jagielka, Glenn Johnson, Phil Jones, Luke Shaw, and Chris Smalling. Happy with that? Um, I have a couple it's the, of... It's the bunch I, t- I, I wrote down. There must be someone better than Chris Smalling. Is there? Who? Come on, name some names. Well, no, this is what you're here for. I only concentrate on free agents. <laughs> well, the, the the problem is for, for me is we should probably probably say now for the for full disclosure that that Colin and I have already had this discussion on last week's unheard podcast that was lost for technical reasons um, that Greg didn't make. So this is a new conversation in parts, but we we kind of had a bit of a debate here because. Tom was also, as you may imagine, Greg unhappy with Chris Smalling. Um, the players you take you take in his place now are just a bit a, a bit old and maybe a bit a bit useless. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like I suppose he's not going to get near the start in eleven unless something terrible happens. I think you're you're looking at the alternatives you're looking at for me are Julian Lescott. Hasn't played enough, really. Ryan Shawcross? See, I don't mind Shawcross. I think you have to pick players in form and players who can do well in club level. Is Shawcross not one of those players who's... It's almost like his time's come and gone. Well, he's still young, isn't he? Is he? Is he that young now? He must be mid-twenties. And, you know, his best years are still to come, I, I reckon. I think I think then and then you're looking at um, John uh, Stones. It's early days for him. I think he will develop, and I think he may become a, a future feature for England. But I think it's a little bit too early for him just now. But he's on the reserve list. I think he is. But what I would say is that it. I'd have every confidence in him playing, as long as he was playing alongside. Jagielka or Cahill because you, you saw for Everton that when he was playing alongside Distan that he seemed to get a lot of a lot more confidence from that and it, his his worst performances came when, when Alcaraz was in the team um, and that's as part because Alcaraz didn't have any football to speak of beforehand and also that they probably never played together and so that's un- understandable when you're only like 19 years old, but I have every, I have the confidence that he could, could do the job if he was playing alongside the right partner. Okay. So, so two points from me, I think we're fairly happy with the defense. The elephant in the room is obviously Ashley Cole, who we now know is how a free do you, agent. How, how do you feel about this one, Greg? Cause um, Tom, Tom was understandably, um, understandably is not the word I'm after. Uh, obviously disappointed well all of, I think he tried I'm to say ta- I'm all for taking to, you he tried to say I'm not being biased but which I think is very much like when you start a sentence saying I'm not a racist but all I'll say is Hodgson's being uh, praised for you know planning ahead and uh, you know thinking about the next World Cup but you know World Cups don't come along every every um you know every year do they it's and why are we planning for something which might not happen who's who says that we have the divine right to qualify and i personally i'd take our best our best 23 players and i don't i'm sure luke shaw will be a, a fantastic player as he as he matures as a left back but at the moment i think especially with the big game experience he's got and he proved it in the champions league semi-final against atletico madrid at the uh, santiago calderon that he's um that Ashley Cole's still uh, a high-quality left-back. And I, personally, I, I still would have taken Ashley Cole over Luke Shaw. You know, Luke Shaw's time will come. But at the moment, I think uh, I'd like to see Ashley Cole. And I think people say about the attacking left-back and how Shaw has more of a presence. But in the, the heat of the jungle and out in Brazil, are we really going to need left-backs bombing on? I don't think they'd be able to... Uh, to hack it, especially with the, the tight schedule. 
So um, I think he Do you maybe should have got. Ashley Cole has not not played enough games. But he he wouldn't. He he basically would be playing the role that he'd be playing for at Chelsea because obviously Leighton Baines would be starting at left back, and then in when there's been a crisis or when um, they've they've lost their their first choice left back, then he's come in and he's performed. I think that's exactly the role that he'd be doing for England. I mean, you have, he's to, not gonna... you have to wonder. There's obviously this has only just come to come to my mind now, but obviously once this decision. What, what, uh, the way we hear it is that once this decision's made, Ashley Cole retires from international football. <clears throat> we are obviously not privy to the internal workings of that. How are we not to know that Ashley Cole hasn't said to Roy, am I going to be your starting left back? He said no. He, and then he's not turned around and said, fuck you, I don't want to go then. Of course, you, know, the, you can you can hypothesise about that all day long. But if you're looking at, if that wasn't the case, you're looking at taking... England's two best left backs. I personally would have taken Ashley Cole for this one. My biggest disappointment, and we're, we can use you, Greg, to sort of as a benchmark here, but he's gone out. Luke Shaw's gone out on the BBC website today and said that his earliest World Cup memory is 2010. That was four years ago. Yeah, I can, I can remember, I can remember '98 and um, that Owen goal, but then I had to go to bed. <laughs> No, 98 is the earliest one I can remember as well. I would have been six. Hmm. You guys are making me feel very old now. Um, I mean, I mean, do you remember? The, do you remember the hand of God? <laughs> I do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the thing is, from me, if if Luke Shaw is good enough, he's good enough. It doesn't matter about his age. And I and I just feel that Roy has gone to him and said, "Look, it's between you and Ashley. You're my favourite." And he's put his arm around him and said, look, there you go. Now, he's going to feel so much better, so much more confident about that because that decision's been made. So he's going to be feeling cock-a-hoop about being in that England team. Now, there's a lot of arguments saying, blah, 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 blah. What if Leighton Baines gets injured? Well, hopefully, Leighton Baines won't get injured. So then... We'll just... like, I said, like I said when we talked about this last week as well, Colin, you can't... You can't pick your squad on on those sort of bases can you exactly exactly anybody could get Wayne Rooney could get injured so um I think for me personally it's it's the right decision um Luke Shaw's capable uh but the 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 blatant fact is is that the number one choice is Leighton Baines so there we go to be honest England were blessed with Richards at left back which is something that's quite unheard of but um, yeah, for me, I'm I'm quite happy with the selection made there. W- one other final question: In an ideal world, if there was no politics or no previous issues, no, no, I wouldn't. Li- no, I have to have to ask a question to you. <laughs> You've got Gary Cahill in there. Would you also have taken John Terry if you had the option and there was no baggage? Would you have taken him? Probably. I think certainly. But I do agree that there's too much baggage. He's obviously declared himself as retired, so there's no coming back for me. Um, so Roy, he was unpickable by Roy, but... It's the other question, not that he's he's had this great season, but would he have had this great season if he was play, been playing international football? That's a very good point. Very good point. Well, let's move away from any sort of John Terry mess. Um, let's have a look at uh, Roy's midfielders. The, there's lots of that to move away from as well. Yeah. So, uh, quite a refreshing midfield of Ross Barkley, Stephen Gerrard, Jordan Henderson, Adam Lallana, Frank Lampard, James Milner, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Raheem Sterling and Jack Wilshire. Any issues with this midfield? Yes. No problem. Oh. Oh, just me. Oh, this is disappointing, Colin. I'm fighting this on my own. When last when last week it was the other way around, wasn't it? You were the one where you're back against the wall against with Lampard. <laughs> yes. Oh no, he's just not done enough for me. Not done enough. 
I don't, that's, that's my only issue. I, I don't think Lampard is going to stay. You're not going to have Lampard and Gerrard in the same team, I, I very much doubt. So, uh, well, I saw, after you like to bring us the, um, the, the thoughts of Big Ron every now and then, I saw a, a, an article from the, the once much fabled Terry Venables who oh, suggested yes. that he would start Gerrard and Lampard in midfield together. How's that management career going? <laughs> I don't see that personally. We might as well go home. We might as well just not play if they start Gerard and Lampard together. But would you all feel that it's quite a refreshing midfield? And that uh, I think one of the points that I made uh, on the previous podcast was that um, it's a it's a midfield that Roy wouldn't have selected at the start of the season and that the decline in Manchester United has meant the sort of the downfall of players like Tom Cleverley and Michael Carrick, who I think would have probably been on the 23 at the start of the season. Um, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I feel that that's belittling the achievements of how well Jordan Henderson, Adam Lallana and Ross Barkley have played this season. Oh, I agree. I mean, I I don't have a problem with that midfield at all. Do you not feel? To, for me, I feel like those three players have all put their hand up and forced their way in, rather than those two players that you speak of and any others have fallen off the edge. And it's just been a case of who's who's next off the off the run. No, I think it's very refreshing. I think it's very a very youthful midfield. And also, I think one thing that's very important for me is although it might be not as important in Brazil, it's, it's got pace. It's one of the pacier midfields of any of the international teams. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy with that. Right then, let's go to Roy's strikers. He has, no surprises here really, Ricky Lambert, Wayne Rooney, Daniel Sturridge and Daniel Welbeck. We okay with that? Yeah. I have one issue. Go on. Can can you guess? Is it Andy Carroll? Yes. I would taking uh, Carroll over Lambert just because I, I I have a theory that if you're going to take someone for their physical presence and their height and aerial ability, which he he has done in Lambert, then just take someone who is just an absolute connoisseur in that area. Which Andy are you talking about? Carroll being a crouch? Is. No, well. Maybe last year I would have considered <laughs> it because yeah, um, but um, I think if you he's a real out and out physical presence, Carol, and I think Lambert's he obviously he's got a physical presence, but he's also good on the ball. But it's his physical presence isn't as impressive as Carol's, and that's that would be my reason for taking Carol. And now it's time for Man of the Posts. Any other business? Uh, it was someone's birthday uh, recently. Uh, that was Yaya Toure. <laughs> um, did, did anybody hear about this? <laughs> you could not hear about it if you were on Twitter, could you? What, what was this issue? Was it was it about a cake? I, I still don't, I don't think he knows yet. I st- I'm still not sure. I th- no, I think it's a handshake, isn't it? Yet another handshake con- controversy. Just ban them from football. <laughs> causing too much trouble. I think it was the, the owners, when they were on their post-season friendly, I didn't even know they were a thing, um, in Dubai, where they met, they met the um, the chairman and, the, um, and Sheikh Mansour, and they didn't congratulate Yaya on his birthday. Terrible people. I mean, I'm just saying that in my in my old office, there used to be someone who's it wasn't their only job, but part of their job was to just to pass a card around a couple of days before everyone's birthday, and we all signed it, and then and then we gave it to them. Sure, one year I got mine five days early, but I wasn't on Twitter moaning about it. It's the thought that counts. I know. Maybe there's a lesson there for Man City. Well, I'm sure they'll put it in their diary for next year. Um... <laughs> 
I think Barcelona might have to as well. well I was going to say to well, wish Barcelona's <laughs> Yaya Torre. Let's move on to our next any other business item, which is uh, Pochettino, who is apparently in quite deep talks with uh, Spurs. According to the BBC website, uh, as we record on uh, Monday, do we think this is a goer? I think I think I've got a feeling it might be a, a done deal. I think unless he's he's not signed a new deal at Southampton for a reason, and that's because he's got something else on the table. But do you also do you think that because from if you if you keep track of the news stories that they seem to sort of fluctuate one way or the other with that with new contract Spurs and now there seems to be a, a pretty hard story out sort of as we're speaking now saying that as Colin said advanced talks um, on Sat was it Saturday so Saturday morning so it would have been sort of stuff that was being written on Friday there was talk in the papers that Spurs were going to go back for Ancelotti one more time do you think they were holding out to see if Real Madrid lost the Champions League final, expect, perhaps expecting Ancelotti to get the boot if that was the case. Perhaps I think so. it would have, that would have been audacious if they had tried to pull a deal off for Ancelotti. I think the likes of Potticino and De Boer are probably the likes that Spurs should be looking to. And what I don't think, would Ancelotti want to work with someone who's proving himself to be a liability such as Daniel Levy. Did you see that he also came out and said that they weren't looking at any unemployed managers? Because like going, yeah, so so what I've done is I've decided it cost me a fortune to pay all these play- managers off when I sack them. So the way to make this better is I thought I'll spend loads of money to get one out of their con- existing contract as well. So that rounds up this week's edition of man on the post podcast i'd like to thank adam and greg for joining me today thank you guys it's all right you're welcome we plan to meet you shortly with a quiz which will be between the man on the post team and the man on the post extra team the the guys who produce the uh, midweek podcast so uh keep an eye out for that It'll be available on all the usual formats from manofthepost.com, on Libsyn, and, and also on iTunes as well. So, on that note, I'd just like to say uh, it's a goodbye from me. So, goodbye, everybody. Uh, it's a goodbye from Greg. See you later. And it's a goodbye from Adam. Bye. And always remember to keep your man on the post. <laughs>